I'm very excited about um, the message I'm going to share with you this morning. And the title of my message is The Dawn of Rekindled Hope. Say to the person next to you, The Dawn of Rekindled Hope. Now, if you've been a Christian for something like two hours or three hours or a few days or a few weeks, you will understand that sometimes you go through situations, you go through trials, you go through tribulations, you go through circumstances that you may not be able to understand. And so you go through phases where you need your faith, where you need your hope, where you need something inside of you to be encouraged. Amen. You know, I go through, through that almost all the time. So the objective of my, morning, my message this morning is that God the Father would encourage us. How many of you want to be encouraged by God? That God himself would come and encourage you in your circumstances, in your situations, in the place where you are. And I'm going to read from Ephesians 3 from verse 16 to 17. And this is Paul speaking part of a, his prayer to the church in Ephesus and he's preaching and he says to this church that he would grant you in other words he's talking about God and he says that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory how many of you know that there are riches that God possesses how many of you that there are riches in his glory that God possesses? How many of you are aware that those riches are also our riches? So God doesn't withhold them and say to us or to himself, well, they are mine. I'm not going to share them with anybody. But Paul prays and says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. And listen to what he says. He says to be strengthened. So he says, hey guys, you people in Ephesus, I pray that you will be strengthened. But I want you to be strengthened with might. I want you to be strengthened with might through his Holy Spirit. So he's praying that the Holy Spirit would come and strengthen this particular church with might in the inner man. Now, when the Bible talks about the inner man, it's talking about the innermost being. It's talking about our true selves. It's talking about that place, that place that is within you, your inner man, your inner person. And he says it is in that very place that I pray that the Holy Spirit, that God, in the power of the riches that he has in his glory, would come and strengthen you, would come and do something in that place within you. And what I also like about this, if you read this particular scripture in the NLT, it says to empower you with inner strength. How many of you want to be empowered with inner strength? So he says, I pray that he would empower you with inner strength, not external strength, not mental strength, but strength that comes from within. In the Living Bible, it says to give you the mighty inner strengthening that he would come and give you the mighty inner strengthening. So the fact of the matter is we need fresh supplies of strength. We need fresh supplies of the strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. We need those fresh supplies so that we can resist the devil and his temptations. And sometimes we face this, you know, every now and then. We need the strength of the Holy Spirit to oppose our corruptions, things that we think are right, or things that we think we, we actually should be moving away from. So we 
we need the strength of the Holy Spirit to help us oppose those corruptions. We need the strength of the Holy Spirit to help us in afflictions. Paul goes on to encourage the church to actually endure affliction cheerfully. We need the strength of the Holy Spirit so that we are not faint when it comes to tribulations that we face, but that we can be the kind of people that will hold on in trials, that will hold out and not give up. So he prays this powerful uh, prayer that this church would be uh, strengthened with, with might. And you see, the thing is, it's interesting that he actually calls upon the Holy Spirit to come and do this strengthening. And what we know about some of the characteristics, some of the attributes of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is our strengthener. He strengthens us. The Holy Spirit is our encourager. He encourages us. The Holy Spirit is our enabler. He comes into our situations, into our day-to-day life to enable us to move into the fullness of what God has called us to. The Holy Spirit is also our standby. He's there. He's always there for us and never moves away. Never moves away. And that is really my prayer for us this morning that, you know, we will actually be strengthened with might by the power of the Holy Spirit. My second objective is that our faith would not wither or decay, but that God would give us a reason to believe again. How many of you can say amen to that? That our faith would not wither, that our faith would not faint, that our faith would not decay, but that God would give us a reason to believe um, again in whatever we may be going through. I was in a prayer meeting sometime last year in October, and there was a guy from Uganda, Kampala, was sharing, was actually leading that, that prayer meeting. And he shared a story that he had been told by his pastors a couple of years ago. I think it was in the late 90s. And basically, what happened is that there were these two men of God in Kampala. And what they did was, that what they would do is they would go door-to-door evangelizing, spreading the message of the gospel. Great, something which we're great at doing in Africa. So what happened on this particular day is that they go to this house that belonged to an elderly lady. She was, a, she was actually a widow. So they go to this house, and in this house is this lady, and she's sitting, she's sitting in a lounge. So they go, they knock, they introduce themselves, and they basically say to her, we want to talk to you about Jesus. But what they didn't know is that what had just happened a few days ago was that the, this lady, she, she, was, she was a seamstress, you know, she had a sewing machine and would actually use it to, show, to sew different things that she would sell and generate an income for her family. But in, the, in the, a few days before, this particular sewing machine had been stolen. So the last thing she wanted to hear was to hear something about God. The last thing she wanted to hear was, you know, people coming and evangelizing to, to her. So she basically said to them, you know, I, I, I really don't want, I, I don't think I can embrace whatever message you have to bring to me. Because this is what's just happened. I don't think I have any faith in God. And so, in all kindness, can I just ask you to just leave? So they insisted, like most evangelists do. They were like, no. Can you give us an opportunity to pray for you? Can you give us an opportunity to pray for your situation? Because we worship and we believe that God can work out a miracle 
for you in this particular situation. So they said to her, can you give us a room in which we can pray for a while? Now when you do that to people who are powerful, who pray, who understand something about faith, who understand something about appropriating the promises of God, it might just end up in an unexpected situation. So reluctantly, the elderly lady gives them her spare room and says, okay, go in there. So these two men, they go in there and they start praying. They start praying. All they know is that God can do something in this particular situation. They don't even quite know what that something is. But I would like to believe that they start thinking about scriptures that say, you know, likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our situations, for we do not know what to, what to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit himself makes groanings for us, makes intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered. So they close themselves in that room and they start praying. So they start off in tongues. And this lady can just hear them praying in tongues and they're going for it. Rabba, Sheba, Kia, Kwakarinda, Shibia, Kokoko. That's what they know to do. That's what they know to do. So they are praying. They are praying. They are calling out the word of God. Oh, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for God is faithful they remove their jackets you know like men of God tend to do they remove their jackets but they are pushing the promises of God are yes and amen in him in Christ into those who belong so they, stay, they keep praying Meanwhile, in the house of the thief, the thief is sitting in his house with a sewing machine. And as he is sitting there, this is a true story, by the way. As he is sitting there, the walls of his house begin shrinking. They begin shrinking. They begin to shrinking. He doesn't know that there's two Christians, there's two men of God there who are praying. But he's watching this and he begins to get terrified. And those walls are shrinking. Those walls are shrinking. And what's happening here? Ah, Rebebe Shiba. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That when we ask something in his name, when we ask something according to his will, and when he hears us, he will give that to us which we heard. Ah, the walls keep shrinking in this side. The walls keep shrinking in this side. Suddenly, a man appears in that house. I'd like to believe it was probably an angel. Appears and says, take the sewing machine and follow me. So the guy, terrified of course, takes the sewing machine, follows the guy. They start walking along the streets of Kampala. This guy is shaking. They start walking along the streets of Kampala. These guys have no idea that this is, this is happening. All they know is that the Holy Spirit helps us, makes intercession for us with groans which cannot be uttered. So anyway, the guy is led to the house where to the, to, he's led to the house belonging to this uh, old lady and obviously he probably did know the house because he had stolen the sewing machine from the house so he appears at the door the lady looks out sees a guy holding her sewing machine runs to these two men behind who are behind who are in, this, in this room 
and says, come out, come see what's happening. Come out, come see what's happening. They didn't know that this is what is happening. So they come out and at the door of this lady's house, there, there's this guy holding the very same machine. Long story short, this guy explains what had been happening this side and then he hears this is what also has been happening in the lady's house. And they both got saved. The old lady got saved, the thief got saved, and now we tell the story. True story. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where faith does not make sense. You look at your life, you look at your circumstances, and you think, you know what, nothing works. I've heard it all, I've read the Bible, I've read it all, but nothing seems to work in my particular situation. But I pray that this morning the Holy Spirit would infuse in us a new strength, would put, would inject in us a new strength to believe, a new faith to believe him for what um, he's called us to. And my third objective this morning is that the this message would actually urge you to fight until breakthrough. Often until breakthrough is att attained. Often what happens is that we fight for a period of time. We believe God for a, a period of time, all right? We claim the, pro the promises and, uh, of God for maybe, you know, uh, a period of time. But thereafter, when we don't see the results, often we actually just uh, decide we're not going to go ahead with this. I like what it says in Isaiah 66. It says, shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord. Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb, says the Lord. And that's God's promise to us, that he's the God who brings birth. He's the God who brings delivery. He's the God who brings breakthrough. He's the God who fights for us. And because he's the God who fights for us, you will see to an end that which he wants to bring forth through our lives. In Hebrews 6, uh, verse 12, it says, Do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises so having faith in itself, sometimes it's just not enough, but we also need to have the patience because both will help us to inherit the promises of God. So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna look at a couple of keys that will help us be positioned for renewed hope, okay? So the first key is you have to understand and know whom or what you are fighting. You have to understand and know whom or what you are fighting. In Ephesians 6 verse 12 it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And what that scripture does is it really makes it clear to us that we need to understand that part of our warfare is actually about fighting in the spiritual realm. Sometimes the situations we experience actually have begun in the spirit. And so what we see sometimes manifesting in the physical is a, a result of what is already hatched in the spirit. So here Paul makes it very clear to us in terms of the nature of the, the warfare that we, that we face and that we should, um, uh, we should wage. 
And so often it is in the spiritual, it's in the spiritual realm that the war is either first won or lost. There's a book called The African Apostles, um, The Patriarchs and Pace Setters. Very interesting, um, it's a very interesting read. And in there, it tells the story of a particular bishop um, from, from, from West Africa. And basically what happened was that he, um, he, he had a church, he ran a church in, in, in one of the cities in, in West Africa. But what happened was this church, it wasn't just a, a church, it was a, a territorial governing church. Now when we speak about a territorial governing church, we're talking about a church that understands and has taken control and authority in the, of, of the area, the atmosphere, the region in which it exists. And so basically, they, in, in that, when, when we talk about a territorial governing church, we're talking about the kind of church that is responsible for God's promises, that sees itself as responsible for God's promises, the, the fruition of those promises in that particular area. So this is the guy, okay, this bishop in this particular church. But what had happened in that time, so in the, sometime in the, I think in the 90s, what had happened is that there was a conference that took place in Chicago, and it was a conference of, strangely enough, of wizards and witches. Took place in Chicago, and basically what happened was that at that conference, these people made a decision to hold an international, a global conference for witches and wizards. They decided they wanted to, to, to attract 9,800 witches, global witches and wizards in that particular city in West Africa. So this bishop hears about it. This is the decision that's been made in Chicago that these people who are wanting to come into your city, they're wanting to hold an international conference for evil spirits, for their whatever purpose they want to do it, and they're going to congregate within your city. What do you think happened to him? So he basically said, go back and tell them it's not going to happen. Go back and tell them it's not going to happen. So they send the message to the chief host, this guy who was in Chicago, who actually had been born and bred in this particular city where this bishop had his church. So he says, go back and tell them it's not going to happen. And then the guy, the chief host, sends a message back and tell them, go tell this man of God that I am a wizard and I know the power we have. So the message gets back to the bishop, the man who has a church who understands what it is to, to, to manage, to run the promises of God in a particular region, to take hold of a region. And then go tell, and then he says, go tell him, it's not going to happen because I've canceled it in the spirit. And then the guy goes and says, well, go tell him that not even his God is going to be able to stop it. And then he says, well, go send him a message. Go tell him that my God doesn't even need to do that. I am his servant. I effect his purposes on earth. So I cancel these things on his behalf. And he does other things. When you understand your authority 
as a believer, it's a different story. And this is exactly how Jesus wants us to operate. We have to operate in correspondence to our position, to our understanding of our position in Christ. That's why the Bible tells us that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He has given us a certain authority that unless we get that revelation and know how to appropriate it in our circumstances, the devil will just do what he wants with us, with our church, with our church plants, with our, with, with our ministries. So this thing does not end here. It now attracts the media. So the media then decides, let's have these guys on live TV. So they bring them in. The man of God is like, yeah, I'll be there. The chief host is like, yeah, I'll be there. So they are there, live TV. This thing is big. This thing is big. Then the anchor of the program says, guys, I don't want drama here, okay? So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give each of you an opportunity to say why, to, to explain what you're saying. So he starts with this chief host, this wizard. And then he says to, why do you say that this, your, your conference is gonna, is gonna go ahead? And then he basically, you know, um, uh, very, very, very proudly starts reading from Egyptian hieroglyphics, from um, Indian Maharaja, from all these mystic uh, readings that he has and he spoke for 27 minutes on national TV, okay? The man of God is just parked off, this bishop just listening, all right? And then he says, so, you know, this thing is going to happen. And then the anchor of the program says to the man of God, so, uh, bishop, what do you say to this? He says, for me, it's not an issue of whether this thing is going to happen or not. It's, it's stopped. I've stopped it there in the spirit. And then he takes out his Bible. He starts to read scripture. He reads some scriptures from the Old Testament. He reads some scriptures from, uh, from the New Testament. And one of the things he says is that, one of the scriptures I've read here is that they do not permit witches and wizards to live. He says to the anchor of the program, how much time do I have before we end? He says, five minutes. He says, can I pray? He says, yeah, you may pray. So he gets up and he says to this chief host, I'm going to ask you one question. I don't want explanations. I just want you to answer in one word. You either say yes or no. Anything you want me to explain? You answer in just one word, yes or no. So you ask the guy, sir, in front of the national TV, all thousands of people watching, bear in mind I've also mentioned to you that the Bible, the word of God, according to the scripture, does not permit you to live. Are you a wizard or not? So you can imagine the atmosphere electrifying in this particular studio. And then uh, the guy suddenly just said, no. Anyway, long story short, one wonders what would have happened, you know, if he had, he had said yes. <laughs> but what happened was that all the so-called witches and wizards who had applied for visas to come to that particular conference were denied. And it did not take place. Now, for me, it's not the drama around the story. For me, what I found impactful here was that when you understand the power that you hold and the power of your words 
in the spirit, there's so many things that we can halt, that we can stop, that the devil is up to. And the fact of the matter is, we've been given that authority. And so we need to understand whom we are fighting or what we are fighting. Yes, the devil does have power. We don't need to be, we don't, don't have to be ignorant of that. But we operate from a higher power. God has got a higher power. He says to, you know, Jesus says to his disciples, I've given you to trample over serpents and scorpions. How I many of you like snakes? How I many of you, if a python walked into your lounge, you're like, ah, ah, yeah, just ah, you know? He says, I've given you power to trample over serpents and scorpions. And then he says, and over all the power of the enemy. So Jesus gives, tells his disciples that you have this authority. Anything dangerous, anything threatening, you can trample over it. But not only that, the juicy part is over all the power of the enemy. Sometimes what we do is we compartmentalize the power of the enemy. And you think, ah, I think that one I can handle. Ah, I think that one I can pray into. Yeah, maybe that one, maybe I can fast for a bit. But the Bible makes it very clear to us that it is over all the power of the enemy that you have authority. And when you walk in that revelation, that's why the things of God, if we are to efficiently execute them, we need the revelation that comes by the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, I've given you power to trample over snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt, um, hurt you. We've got to embrace the fullness of what the word of God says. We know in John 10, 10, it says that the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that we may have, you may have abundant life. And that's what we have, irrespective of the wiles of the enemy. You see, the fact of the matter is that the devil is determined to steal your confidence, to steal your self-image, to steal your health. He, he's determined to do that. He's determined to kill your belief in God. He's determined to kill your hope. He's determined, even in some cases, to bring about premature death over your life. And one of the prayers I consistently pray over the people I intercede for or over the people, my family or myself is that, Lord, premature death would not be my portion. But unless we do that, sometimes the devil can just sneak that, that, that in. The devil, the, f the fact of the matter is that the, the, the devil seldom fights in half measures. He goes the full way. And yet when we pray, we pray sometimes in half measures. Sometimes we're even half asleep when we, when we pray. So the devil seldom fights in half measures. He's determined to destroy your destiny. He's determined thwart to destroy every word, every promise, every influence that God has told you you would have. He's determined to destroy all that. The devil does not respect your grammar your accent, your level of education. That's why when you look at it in the book of Acts, you know, the evil spirits, they harass the sons of Sceva. They're like, Jesus, we know. Paul, of course, is too noisy, we know. And we're now Ubani. Who are you? And so sometimes we need to understand that what the devil respects is power. What the devil is respects is somebody who knows and understands their authority in the word, not just understanding and ending it there, but appropriating it into their particular circumstances. Amen. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, vigilant, 
because the adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, resist him steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. I just want to ask you a couple of questions. Do you know whom or what you are fighting in your circumstances? Do you know the strongholds that have to be uprooted in your situation? In what manner is the devil manifesting in your life? What evil or demonically influenced patterns flow through your bloodline? You see, the problem sometimes with us as Christians is when it comes to, you know, sometimes there's usually three types of Christians when it comes to warfare. There are those who have no idea that we're actually in war and that the devil is consistently fighting us. How many of you know that if you go, give me a war zone, if you go to Syria right now, if you go to South Sudan, there's something that's already, that's actually erupted in the last couple of weeks in places like, you know, South, uh, uh, fresh, you know, news of war in places like that. So even if you were to go in those, to those places right now, it's irrelevant whether you know that there's a war or turmoil going on in that place. The fact of the matter is when missiles fly, fly past, you can be wiped out. When bullets fly past, you can be, we can be wiped out. So you can't say, uh-uh, me, I'm from Centurion, I'm a, I'm a tourist, please, hey, bullets, please try and bypass me, it's irrelevant. And that's what happens in our daily walk as Christians. It's irrelevant, you know, whether you know that the devil is out to get you and out to thwart the promises of God in your life. You've got to understand how it's done, how it's fought, how you, 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 you prevail. And so that's the one type of Christian, you know, does not know, ignorant. And then you have the other type of Christian. When it comes to warfare, they know that, hey, hey, there's scriptures that talk about our warfare, you know, and that, you know, we, we, we actually need to be aware of what the devil does, but they're not equipped or don't have the tools of fighting. That's why we teach on some of these things um, in church. And then you have a third type of Christian. Okay, they're aware that we're in warfare. They know that you have to do something about it. And then they try to do it, but they're fighting the wrong entity. So it is, impo so it is important for us, it is imperative for us that we know and we're equipped in terms of fighting and um, executing the plans and purposes of God in our life. Amen. So you got to know whom and what you're fighting. The second key is we need to inquire of the Lord and receive a battle plan for your situation. I like the story in 2 Samuel 5 from verse um, 17. And here it's talking about David. And it says, Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal-perazim and defeated them there, and he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies like the breakthrough of water. That is the nature of God. Therefore, he called the name Baal-perazim, the place Baal-perazim, 
and they left their images there, that is the Philistines, and David and his men carried them away. Interesting. Then in verse 22, it goes on to say, then the Philistines, same enemy, went up once again and deployed themselves in the, in the valley of Rephim. Same enemy, same location. Therefore, David required, inquired of the Lord and he said, you shall not go up. This is what uh, the Lord says to David. You shall not go up, number one. But what you're going to do is you're going to circle them around behind them. Number three, you're going to come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. Number four, it shall be that when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, you shall advance, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him, and he drove the Philistines back from Geba as far as Gezer. The fact of the matter is, when we fight, when we wage war, when we believe and look up to God for his plans, for his strategies, for his battle plan, for his voice, in terms of how we are supposed to wage through a situation, it is a completely different ballgame. It does something to our faith. It does something to our hope that not our age, not our experience, not the books we've read is able to do. All those things are not able to do. You see, when we fight according to how God wants us to do it, when we fight according to his plan, according to his strategy, then we actually, what happens is we, it, it actually propels our hope and our faith into a completely different, different realm. I want to encourage us. I don't know what you're going through. I want to encourage us. And my question to you this, this morning is, have you stopped and asked God, Lord, this is what I'm facing but how do I go about it? What prayers do I pray? How do I, how do I do this, Lord? God's strategy can never be compared with that of men. In Isaiah 55, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, what happens is when we, we trust God for things, wisdom is essential, timing is essential, and we must never take on the enemy without God's help. Here's a couple more questions. Do you inquire of the Lord regarding how to effectively pray over your issues? Do you ask for insight, revelation, and strategy on how to, be over, to overcome your battles? And when God gives you the roadmap to chart in your specific situation, do you follow through or do you abort midway? Those are some questions to think about. The third key is ask God to raise up divine helpers. Ask God to raise up divine helpers. Some people call them destiny helpers. So what are these? Who are these and what, what do they do? They strategically are positioned to help you arrive at your expected end, and often they go out of their way to help you. Sometimes they fight on your behalf as if the battle is theirs. They use their time and tools for you. They use their own network to open up opportunities for you. 
They are ordained by God to assist. They share experiences, scars, counsel, and wisdom that would save you from the pain and frustration that they probably have also been going through. Some of you can actually attest to this, where you've had somebody who say, hey, concerning your situation, why don't you phone this person? They might be able to, to help you. Some of you have been led to amazing business deals by certain people. Some of you have in jobs, interviews. Some of you certain situations of, of, of breakthrough where somebody just appears on the scene and they, they actually help you through it. It's interesting, I'm currently going through a situation at, um, you know, at, 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 my, at my workplace where from nowhere I've heard a couple of people who are coming to me and they're also going to different executives in our, in our bank and basically saying, hey, you know what, I understand there's this particular opportunity in your area and I really think them is actually positioned to actually um, fulfill that, that, that role. I don't even speak to them. I don't even know they were speaking to all these you know, group execs and they're like, hey, on my behalf. I even got a prophetic word around that at Ignite. And I've been thinking this, this whole weekend. And I said to myself, you know what, Lord? Some of them are really weirdos, you know, in my, you know. But, you know, I'm going to embrace that as destiny helpers. I'm going to embrace them, you know, as divine helpers. Because when God has raised them, when God has op opened those particular opportunities and doors, I'm going to walk into them and mark my words. In a matter of time, I'll be bringing a testimony. Amen. Amen. So what are some of uh, the examples of destiny helpers in the Bible? Jethro and Moses. Jethro was a destiny helper to Moses when you read Genesis 18. He went to Moses on his own volition and advised him on how to appoint and delegate elders to attend to the people of Israel. Remember that story? Joseph and the butler, Genesis 40. The butler mentions Joseph to Pharaoh and Joseph's story becomes it, it literally shifts. Naaman and the Israelites, men, I mean maid, in 2 Kings 5.3, it was the maid that God used to, re, to refer Naaman, the command of the Syrian armies, to Elisha so that he would be healed of leprosy. Elijah and the widow of Zarephath, God saved the widow of Zarephath from death and sent Elijah to help her. Mordecai and Esther, Esther was an orphan, and Mordecai, when the time came, introduced her to greatness. The Shunammite woman and Elisha is another example. I like the Mark 2 example. The, you remember the story of the, the paralytic man. The friends of the paralytic man were determined to help him get healed. So they lowered him to Jesus through the roof. They used their efforts to ensure that their paralyzed friend would reach Jesus. Philip took Nathaniel to Jesus, and from then on, his life changed. I pray that God would help us and open our eyes to see our destiny helpers. What you also don't want to do is to miss them. So I pray that God would give us an, a, a revelation and an alertness every day that we may see who these people are. And not only that, but they will appear at the right time in the right place. You also need them to, to appear timelessly. Here are some questions for you. 
Do you pray that God would raise up helpers of your destiny for each and every situation you're going through? Ask the Lord that you would open your physical and spiritual eyes so you can recognize them. Have you positioned your heart to receive and work with those helpers of your destiny? So don't despise them, you know. Like some of them will, 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 will come in a very, you know, maybe, you know, unsavory manner. Like one of the, the, the my destiny helper uh, currently at, I mean, she, she, if you had asked me to put top 1,000 destiny helpers, she wouldn't be there. But don't despise that God, God works in mysterious ways. And I'm like, Lord, right person, big mouth, she's doing it. I embrace that. It's working. It's working for me. The end result, the breakthrough, the means is irrelevant at this time. Okay, so don't despise um, those because God works in mysterious ways and often in ways that we don't expect. Amen. Number four, ask God for a revelation on how to work with angels. One of the names of God is that he's Jehovah Sabaoth, God of the angel armies, God of the armies of, of, of heaven. In Psalm 103 verse 20, it says, praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones, this is in the NLT, who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands, who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Sometimes, you know, when we like reading about angels in the Bible, but often as Christians, we think, ah, me, they're out of my league. They're out of my league. But I'm in a season in my life where I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, I want a greater understanding of how I can effectively work with angels in my situation. Because the Bible tells us that these guys, they carry out his plans listening to each of his commands. So they listen to God's commands, they come and execute them. They are God's messengers, and God desires to release them to us in our particular situations. Do you know that in this church, sometimes in worship, during like praise and worship, you know, there's been people who come and say, hey, I heard angels sing. I heard angels sing. In Ignite, the same, the same things, we've experienced those things. They're just not for corporate uh, meetings, but God's desire is that we also, you know, welcome so that, you know, uh, the use and the working of angels so that he can release them into our, into our particular situations. You see, the thing with angels is that they reach places we cannot physically reach. They bring an ease to our ministry. They execute judgment on our behalf. They bring the message of God into our situation. And I really pray that as a church and as individuals, can you imagine when we get to that level of just like seeing angels like, hey, yeah, yeah, well, what's, what's, you know, what's the dilly here? And I really pray that we get to that, to that place. I'm not going to read this uh, passage of scripture, but we see a lot of this in Daniel, particularly Daniel 9 um, and, and, and 10. There's a guy called uh, Kevin Basconi. 
you wrote a book on how to work with angels in, a, in, a, in your life. And basically, this guy is used by God a lot in miracles, in healings, and, and, and so on. And the way he tends to operate in his ministry is that often, prior to a service or prior to a meeting, he'll be praying, and then God will show him a particular person and basically say, this person is coming to your meeting tomorrow. This person is coming to your, to your meeting tomorrow and they are, they are ready for ministry. And I remember reading that and saying to myself, I never want to go to church. I never want to go to Ignite. I never want to go to any meeting where potentially, you know, there's the ministry of God, the ministry of his Holy Spirit, the ministry of his angels, and I'm not ready. And I want to encourage us to that, that that would be the posture of our hearts. Never come to church just because you woke up and, you know, you got there in time, you know. But prepare your heart for church. Prepare your heart for the word of God. Ignite. When you come to Ignite on Friday, as you are driving, I know Friday is a busy day and so on. As you are just be praying and say, Lord, you know what? I want to be a part of what's going on there. I want to hear you. I want to know what you want to be doing. And so he would say, God would show him. And so what happened in the one meeting, he sees an angel. I mean, this guy, angels are like, are like I don't know, his Samsung phone. They just, he just sees them. So he sees this angel in the congregation, but what it does is it goes to a particular person and starts doing certain things. And the Holy Spirit just said, go to that person, and in the same way that that angel is ministering, go and do, and do the same. And so it was interesting just to see how that ministry in itself, you know, when we really begin to embrace it in our lives, can actually lift our hope, can actually change how we see um, and embrace the operation of, um, of God in, in, our, in our situations. I really pray that God would release angels to assist us in our circumstances, that our spiritual eyes will be open to see them that will actually be another level of faith. Amen. Amen. My question to you is, do you have faith to believe God to release angels to work on your behalf? I don't see it as something that will happen overnight, something we grow into. Remember, it is what you desire that you actually begin to see happening in your life. And then finally, on the keys, is to pray for intercessors or watchmen or warfare people for your situation. In Isaiah 62, it says, verse 2, I have set watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They shall never hold their uh, uh, peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not uh, keep silent. I really appreciated what happened at Ignite. You know, just the way, you know, when uh, one of uh, the part of the, 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 the prayers that came forth over the Joburg Church were around raising up intercessors, raising up watchmen for this Joburg Church. Then I get a voice note from my friend last night, and she says to me, Vim, you guys, you know, with the Joburg Church, what is going to be unique about, about this church? What, what is going to isolate it so that it's not like any other church in the Santon Joburg area? And then she says to me, and her background is that she's also a church planter, and, and you know, in the last two years in, that, in their church, they've actually planted a church, and she was one of the, the leaders on this church planting um, mission. 
And she said to me, one of the things that happened with us was that the vision that was cast concerning this church plant is not actually what ended up transpiring. And then she says to me, Vim, but what's unique, what's gonna be unique about your Joburg church is that the visionaries, the key visionaries themselves are also the initial executors. And so I, I just started thinking about that and I said to her, you know what, actually one of our prayer points is that we would pray, God would raise up people who would pray for this church plant. Not only that, but that God would give us an understanding of what the calling of this church is. Some of you will remember Pastor Paul shared on that. And that again would be a territorial governing church. I'm quite liking that. Hmm? Uh, there's things I want to go out there and, uh, and just stop. The devil, no evil power, will prosper in our work in Joburg. I stand here and I agree with you, people of God, that when we launch out in Joburg, we shall be a territorial governing church. We shall move on in the fullness of our authority and power of the spirits. Any funnies that the evil spirits are busy carrying out now, either move out or we're going to boot you out. And that's the kind of attitude we're going there. You know what? Enough is enough, my brothers and sisters. It is about time we rise up and move into what God has called us to. That is what we do. There are certain things God should just park off and doze off because we, his servants, have been mandated to actually do those things on his behalf and not just wait for him to just do it. Amen. So yes, intercessors, watchmen, you know, people would pray in our, in, in, in our, for us in our particular situation. And the thing is, it's one thing to want people to be praying for you. I want to encourage you, be someone's intercessor. Be someone's watchman. Be, someone in, be someone's intercessor, be someone's watchman. There's somebody I pray, I pray with for certain people. But what has happened is that we didn't plan this, but we've become each other's intercessors. So when you're faithful to do it for somebody, God will also raise up people for you. Amen. There are seasons when your prayers alone are not going to do it, no matter how spiritual you are. Sometimes you need to be strengthened by others. Our faith is strengthened when we lean also on the prayer that others are offering in our, in our regard. Amen. So it is important that we understand whom and what we are fighting, that we ask God for a battle strategy, that we call forth our destiny helpers, that we ask for a revelation of how to work with angelic hosts and that we pray for intercessors in our situations. I'm just gonna conclude with this. The wall of Jericho was impenetrable, it was an impenetrable force to any army that was trying to overcome the city. The attacking troops would have to navigate the way against an eight meter wide and three meter deep pit that lined the outer edges of the city. When there was the wall itself, which was, then there was the wall itself, which was five meters high, one and a half meters thick, pure mass of solid stone. If the, the attacking army managed to get this far without being attacked by the archers, all that was left was to defeat the, the well-trained Canaanite army that was waiting within. And this was the reality of Joshua and the Israelites. 
You see, the fact of the matter is we we'll run into walls in our life. And the bigger the wall, the more the hopeless situation, you know, might just become. There can be walls of sickness, walls of divorce, walls of addiction. And you look at them and you think, well, how am I going to push past? How am I going to demolish this type of wall? There can be walls of pain, walls of confusion, hopelessness, hopelessness, anger, bitterness. You look at them and you're like, I'm gone. I'm swallowed. But I really pray and I just want to encourage us that God is skilled when it comes to those type of hopeless situations. I like what the Bible tells us. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers into slavery, unjustly imprisoned by Potiphar and Phelim. That was a hopeless situation, you agree with me? But he became second in command in Egypt. Moses and the Israelites were cornered by the banks of the Red Sea. Wasn't that a desperate situation? But the Red Sea parted. Hannah Bible scholars believe she was possibly barren for about 19 years. That's a disheartening case. Samuel was born, and five more kids after that. David stood across the valley from a bloodthirsty giant. Wasn't that a miserable situation? But Goliath's head was on a plate. Daniel's roommate was a lion. That's not a comforting situation, but the lion was tamed. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were thrown into a flaming oven. Isn't that a frightening state? But the oven became room temperature, and they came out unsinged. Paul was imprisoned. Apostles persecuted. A hopeless situation, right, for the advancement of the gospel. But they rejoiced and brought the gospel to many. Peter was a coward who denied Jesus, but he became a rock in the church. Timothy was too young, but he built a church. Abraham and Sarah too old to have a baby. That's a bad situation, a sad situation. But Isaac was born. The walls of Jericho were too strong, a desperate situation. But they came a tumbling down. I want to encourage you this morning and let you know that God can turn a mess into a message. God can turn a trial into, into a triumph. God can turn a, a, a test into a testimony. God can turn a, a victim into a victor. I don't know what your story is. When you look at some of this, maybe some of you have closed your books and you're like, no, 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 this is not going to happen. But I pray that your faith would be ignited to believe God again. May the God of the impossible rekindle your hope. Amen.